Welcome to Compliance to Reliance, a podcast dedicated to practitioners who will really want to make a difference for their clients and their community. This is Edie Osborne, CEO of Mentor Plus, and joining me is Jeannie Whitehouse, my uh, D- Countess of Communication, Director of Everything. Jeannie is here to help spread the gospel of level five service. And so embedded in the concept of moving from compliance to reliance is a methodology we call level five service. Uh, I've highlighted a lot about it in my book, Firm Forward, which is available on Amazon, but these podcasts are going to dive much deeper into the content, the processes, best practices, case studies, and examples that have been accumulating over the last 20 years of experience in this study. Specifically, Level 5 Service is about helping firms move from a compliance orientation to one of reliance, where we move away from being compliance-only focused, which of course is all the work that the government markets for us, to an advisory or reliance-oriented relationship where our clients pick up the phone and call us first and foremost whenever they have an important decision to be made. Why? Because Level 5 Service is all about decision support. This is the support that business owners have been asking for that they um, sadly oftentimes believe is going to be what they're getting when they hire a CPA. And much to their surprise and disappointment, oftentimes they end up with somebody who's great at doing their taxes, who's great at working on their their financial statements and getting everything done for the banks and the IRS. Um, But as you know, and I know, and anybody who spends any time in a small business knows, getting the IRS projects off their plate is a very small, sadly necessary, but small part of what makes a business really successful. And so accountants who are focused on being advisors to their clients, instead of just being the trusted accounting technician, they really have made the transition from compliance to reliance where they can actually call themselves a trusted business advisor. So that's what this podcast is all about, helping practitioners and firms make that transition from compliance to reliance. And the methodology that we'll be talking about throughout these podcasts is in uh, embedded in our level five methodology. So Edie, just to just to start kind of at the beginning, why do you think yeah what do you think firms are missing when it comes to this whole consulting services area? Why why did you have start out all these years ago to try to train people in how to do this? Don't we already know as accountants how to go out and, and help clients do the right thing and make more money and all of that good stuff? Well I think we we, I'll, I'll, I won't include myself as a CPA, but I've hung out with you guys long enough. I'll say we affectionately. I think uh, there is a belief system that the clients will ask if they need help. And that's, that's part of the problem. The other part of the problem is that accountants are conditioned to respond to needs and not proactively anticipate the needs and so between the two we've got two it's like it reminds me of a a middle school dance where we've got the (laughs) boys on one side of the room the clients on one side of the room and the accountants on the other side of the room the girls Um, and you can take the gender out of that and just recognize that we have two parties that desperately want to connect with each other but they're waiting for the other to make the first move and so we end up with with accountants waiting for clients to ask for help 
and clients waiting for accountants to get ahead of what they need and offer the help. And so I think it's, it's a reconditioning of expectations. I think clients have very low expectations of accountants outside of the financial and transactional aspects of their business. And we have accountants who have very low expectations that their clients are going to need more from them than the compliance side. And so we have to re, uh, sort of re-educate clients about what accountants are actually you know, uh, able to do for them. And we have to re-educate the accounting profession how to use their accounting skills in perhaps non-traditional ways. In other words, instead of just measuring financial performance on a business, being focused purely on the transactional aspects of the company, we can begin to broaden the accountant's mindset to cover measuring performance in all areas of the business, uh, not just financial, but also including customers and operations and HR and, and, and pretty much anything that's really critical, mission critical to the success of the business, it can be measured and accountants can use their accounting skills to account for performance in all areas of business performance. So by shifting the way accountants perceive themselves, by educating clients about all the areas of their business that um, deserve and uh, will benefit greatly from being measured to the same level and degree that we measure financial transactions, um, if, if we can educate both sides and shift the mindset, now we have you know, this, this middle school dance, we've got some people in the middle who are doing some good work together instead of standing on the sidelines waiting for each other to notice the need or, or wait to be asked to fill the need. So um, it's time for us to get out there and dance. Ballroom dancing. <laughs> to, be, to carry the metaphor. <laughs> time for yeah. us to become uh, ballroom dancers in, in tandem with our clients. And I think part of the problem that you mentioned is not only have we trained ourselves to not ask questions and to come at this differently, but we've really trained our clients to not expect us to deliver the kinds of services that you're talking about. That's and so right. both of us are kind of That's right. sunk in our corners and, and the accountants are afraid to be pushy because we're afraid of that, that S word that we'll talk about next, that word called sales or selling. We're afraid to be pushy and salespeople. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, find the opportunities as they exist. So, so tell us more. So talk more about what it means to sell. And I, and just to add a, another thought here, I am a CPA, as you know, Edie, and practicing with wineries and applying these methodologies mm -hmm. on a regular basis with wineries in California. So I know that this works, but many of these questions that we're going to talk about are things that I've wrestled with myself and that other folks in my firm are, tr are still trying to, to wrestle with to a certain extent. So wh what is it about selling and do we really have to sell to <laughs> well, I, I, I will fall. I, you know, it's interesting when I do workshops, I, I would ask people, raise your hand if you love to sell. And there's usually about 10% of people that do. Yeah. And, and they do literally love to go out and cold call and sell. And, and there are people who I've, as I've come to get to know these people more, um, they do have one characteristic that I think even people who don't like to sell could begin to really um, polish up. In their in their abilities and that is to be curious yeah so whether you like to sell or not at a minimum if you are a curious human you just like to understand things and this is something i find to be true about most accountants mm -hmm. but they've never really thought about selling as curiosity 
And so I, I like to, I, I tend to have to shift their thinking a little bit. You know, if you think all you're going to do is have to go in there and sell something, in other words, and we perceive that word sell as, you know, getting people to pay money for something they don't necessarily need or want, then heck, who wants to be involved in that kind of a <laughs> transaction? That feels like that lacks a lot of integrity yeah. to me. The kind of selling that I'm thinking of is really understanding what the client's business needs are and then being curious enough about them to see if there's some way I can help them measure those needs more effectively. Notice I'm not trying to sell them anything at this point. I'm just seeing if I can understand enough about their business that there might be something that I could do to support them to improve something in their business first. So I'm just, I'm going in and, and as you know, in, in our methodology, in the level five methodology, we have a process we call discovery and that discovery process is very open-ended and it puts zero pressure on the accountant or the client to one sell or two buy, Right. right? We don't have to go in with an intention to sell or that somebody has to buy something, if we go in with a curious intention of, I wonder if we looked at the numbers a little differently, if they might give us insights about how to move forward more effectively. My first thing with the client is, I'm not even sure I can help yeah. you improve your business, but let me spend some time with you, run your business through some analysis, some numbers, some questions, bring your people in, have some conversations. And at the end of all that discovery, if we can determine that there are some lost opportunities in your business that have some quantifiable, uh, desirable outcomes to to be um, harnessed, then then maybe we can look for an ROI now. Now, instead of me trying to sell you something, I can show you that if we work on this particular aspect of your business together, it's going to yield for you X dollars or X opportunities or X um, release of resources that might, in fact, yield revenue in another way. In other words, it isn't all about direct, uh, you know, you spend a dollar here, I'll make you 10 there. It doesn't quite work out that way, although sometimes it is a direct spend a buck with me and I'll show you how to make five. Um, but most of the time it's spend a dollar with me and I'm going to help you go learn how to look at your business differently so that one, you never waste another dollar and you also are going to make better decisions going forward so that you're going to make more money going forward. So sometimes it's direct that I can save you money or I can make you money and therefore your investment in my services as an advisor makes enormous sense. Or it's by reducing stress or freeing up assets to be able to go work in another area of the business, that will yield a better outcome for the business. If we can, in some way, through our analysis and discovery, get to the heart of what the real problem is, quantify it, then I can look at my services and say, I can help you, and you're going to spend a fraction with me compared to what you're going to get in return. Now, I don't, that, that doesn't feel like a sales job to me. That feels like a smart business investment. Yeah. Put resources here and you're going to get a, a, a return on your resources. That, that's when we get out of the realm of selling and we get into the realm of helping. Yeah. That's where I feel like most of our accountants end up is 
not selling services, but really identifying where the lost opportunity costs are and helping the client see that where a dollar spent can be returned effectively, whether it's a dollar spent with us or a dollar spent with another service provider or a system or a tool or employees or some other way that they need to invest in their business to get a return, we're the people that help them see that. So, Edie, back in the day, I started as a CPA by doing consulting services for small businesses. And I had it in my head that my job was to help them. And so I was so focused on that that I actually did work and didn't bill for it because I felt like educating them was was something I should be doing. And if I did the work, I would then discount because it should, shouldn't have taken me as long to figure something out as it did in some cases. Right. So it's kind right. of the opposite of selling or it's it's sort of the you know, do I go too far on the non-selling? And at what point do I switch to providing a billable service from a relationship investment to get that client on board? So I think there are a couple of issues that are you're being um, really present to, Jeannie. And one of them is that um, that we don't always recognize our own value. Yeah. And so we'll give it away. Um, or as you described, it's a learning curve and you don't want the client to pay for your learning curve to get to know their business better, right? right? And, <laughs> and, and there's another piece of this, and that is most accountants don't think they're worth right. um, char- charging for it because they don't have a, a, a CPA after their name for business advisor. You know, we, don't, we just don't, we haven't positioned non-traditional service advice as being valuable. Yeah. We've just, it's always just been sort of, you know, here's the, the main course of the tax return and the audit and the financial statements and we'll throw in a bread roll uh, <laughs> and, and uh, we won't charge you for the bread roll, but yeah. it turns out the bread it's the roll thing you want. is the thing the clients yeah. are really hungry yeah, for. Yeah, it's the right? bread that they're, they're really the, it's the bread and the butter that matter to make all the difference. That's right. That's right. But it's also, That's, show me where my yeah, bread is. Where, where's your bread is buttered. But it's also a function of the stuff that comes easy to us, we tend to discount as well. Mm. So if it's something that we're just good at, well, I'm just good at that. And that's obvious. And we don't think there's value to the client for that right. either. It's, it's a real issue. So go ahead. So one of the things, um, the, the, many books in my lifetime have stood out for me, but there's one particular phrase that James Collins uses when he talks about how companies went from good to great. He said they built in mechanisms. And that word mechanism could mean structure, could mean process, could mean lots of different things, but it's, it's more than a wish and a hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's maybe less than a protocol, but more than a wish and a hope. But somewhere, somewhere in that going from good to great is a step. Yeah. It's an acknowledged step that we build into our relationship with our clients. And, and that's the piece that I think that is missing for a lot of accountants, the mechanism for establishing the value that you bring to the relationship. That's what's missing. Yeah, okay. And I spoke about it a moment ago when I talked about quantifying the problem mm-hmm. that the client is having. The same is true here, Jeannie. If we, if our mindset is, Um, I do tax and audit and accounting work for my clients and um, I am also an advisor to my clients 
And when they have problems, I'm available to help them. Mm -hmm. That's that's the typical accountant's mindset. That's right. right? And I'm going to bill by the hour for that. For that work. Right. And I'm going to bill by for the hour because it's open ended. There's too much potential for scope creep. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is another element of value pricing that gets a lot of people sort of, you know, they never pass go and get their $200 because they get stuck on, well, how long is it going to take me? And so the mechanism that prevents us from giving our time away prevents us from not establishing the value proposition for the client up front that will enable us to actually give them a value price. Um, The mechanism that is missing in a traditional relationship is this piece of discovery. Like Mm -hmm. I was just speaking to getting down to the bare bones. What is the absolute truth in this business? What are the business truths? How is it really performing? Not just, you know, from a net profit perspective, but as you know, there are three bottom lines in every business and most business owners and most accounts are typically only focused on one or two of them, which would be obviously the net operating income, our net profit, and then obviously the return on investment. But most business owners, if you ask them, what, how do, you know, how do they make a profit? They're only going to be talking about one of those bottom lines. And in fact, there are three of them. And third operating cash flow bottom line is also missing from most conversations with our clients. So I'm, I'm kind of going a roundabout way to say we don't do a very good job of positioning by using questions and data analysis and the discovery process to get to the real truth of what's happening in that business. And until we do that, until we're willing to invest a couple of hours of discovery into the client relationship, it's going to be really hard to know what value we can actually bring to the table. So we build in a mechanism. We don't give away advice. We just know that, um, I'll use a medical example, a metaphor here. If you went to the doctor And you walked into the office limping and the doctor said, oh, you're limping. Huh? Interesting. Okay. Here's a, here's a crutch. Um, Here's how you use the crutch. You know, here's, (laughs) here's how it fits under your arm and here's how you, you position your wrist on the, on the hand rest and, and you'll want to take a rest once in a while. In other words, they're teaching us how to use the crutch, Mm -hmm. how to read their financial statements, but they never showed me never taught me how to how to walk in a way or how to put my shoe on in a way or how to clear the debris out mm-hmm. of the way so I don't trip and hurt my leg to begin with, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so we've got a situation where we're, you know, the patient has come, the client has come to the accountant and the accountant is handing them a crutch, which are here are your financial statements. This is what you need to understand about what's happening in your business, but they're not doing anything to teach them, one, for sure, how to understand what those numbers mean, and two, you know, what it really means to not have that problem to begin with, how to, how to organize your business, how to run your business so that you don't end up in this cash flow dip three months out of 12 every year that you could organize your receivables in a way or your your contracts in a way knowing that you are seasonal 
to prevent these, or you could work with your payables in a way that your seasonality isn't such an issue, or you work with your vendors. In, in other words, the accountant, if they're really doing their job, they're seeing all the subtleties in the business that are, are lost on the print with financial statements. You're, you're just not going to see a lot of business owners picking apart the line items because they don't know what to look for. Yeah. And so the value proposition that we as accountants bring to the clients um, has to be made explicit up front in order for them to, one, buy in, and two, for us to be able to establish our value proposition as we go forward. And frankly, if you're trying to sell, and I see this, I see people selling package A, package mm -hmm. B, package C, and C includes high-level advisory support. What does that mean, right? <laughs> that nobody's established what being a trusted business advisor really looks like. And it includes a proactive mechanism to get out in front of our clients to be sure that we understand what's really happening in the business, that the client really understands what's happening in the business, and that we're helping them develop plans and strategies and putting measures around those plans and strategies to ensure that they are, in fact, going to achieve what they've set out for themselves to achieve. So, you know, selling services isn't hard when the need is there and we've articulated the value proposition. Giving away services is a bad habit that we can break when we build better mechanisms into our processes that prevent us from um, basically shooting ourselves in the foot by giving away good advice or knee-jerking advice without really fully comprehending what all the issues are in that business. So systems and protocols prevent us from um, giving it away and also short um, shrifting our clients for the very best outcomes possible because we haven't done our homework enough. So I want to go back to that analogy that you had. And I think it's, it's an excellent analogy because I think somebody comes in walking on a, with a limp and all you do is hand them a crutch. Yes. You haven't done any investigation to find out the source of the pain. Do they have a sprain? Do they have a break? Do right. they have cancer? Do they have some food allergy that's swelling up in the ankle or and, and I think exactly. and what, that's exactly what we're doing is we're shoring them up for the short term solution, which is now you can walk easier with this supplemental device that we're going to give you. But we're not doing the, the right. deep digging to find out why are they in pain in the first place and what can we do to help prevent that that's right. from a recurring injury. And so I think that's a, a bunch of this work. And that's the part where we're kind of afraid to ask. It's kind of like we're going, oh, I see your foot's red and throbbing and swollen. Ooh, that's ugly. And maybe I shouldn't ask you know, what you did to end right. yourself, <laughs> yeah. we have some of that. Um, but I also think one of the things that you said that popped out at me is that uh, it's about the conversations with clients. And you know, Edie, I got into this work after I left the CPA firm through technology. And I had a tool that allowed accountants to facilitate a client conversation. And all the accountants said, why do I want to talk to my clients? I just want to mail them something right. um, because that's much easier for me but the value is not there. Right. If I just mail you a document that has no relevance or no, no context for you, it's not going to it's not going to prove that you're a value added anything. It's just going to prove that you are a printer right. and probably a, a relatively boring historian who gives them information that that's uh, six <laughs> months too late. So yeah, right. so I think your analogy is is um, a wonderful one, and it is true. And I think that's where the opportunity is for us is to really ask those questions. And it's not to have the answers. We you speak to that a little bit. I think we have this 
mindset, at least I know I do, and my traditional view is I need to dig out something so I can jump in and provide all the answers to my clients. Right. right. Talk about that a little bit. We're looking for, well, I think this is human nature. We're looking for solutions, um, opportunities to shine, right? right? We're, (laughs) We're looking for opportunities to sell um, to do what we do best. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when people talk about, um, you know, financial statements or their tax return or, or their entity or, or things that, you know, fall within, in the purview of traditional accounting, we tend to land there very comfortably. And we forget that that's just a small piece of the client's total need set. And because we are, in that case, what I would call service-centric, only focused on what we have to Mm -hmm. offer, um, we forget to ask some of those other questions. And so that's why these proactive mechanisms, these questionnaires and the analytical tools and the discovery protocol, the scripting, the conversation is built into this methodology, the level five methodology, because we can't leave it to chance because accountants will, um, many of them will default to the older, more comfortable groove of talking about what's happening financially in the business without digging deeper to what are the, what are the root causes of those financial symptoms? Because really, when you think about it, everything that shows up on the financial statements are typically symptoms of something else happening in the business. And so, you know, just, I I don't want to burst anybody's bubble and I doubt anybody listening to this podcast is somebody who would be offended by this, but there are going to be accountants who would never be good at advisory because they don't want to have a conversation with clients. They, they love the numbers. They love the black and whiteness, the footing at the end of the day, uh, completeness, to the task. Um, it's, you know, I married an engineer. I recognize this <laughs> behavioral style. It's, it's not a bad thing, but I wouldn't ask, uh, you know, an engineer to paint uh, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. It's just not, he could build the scaffolding. He could get me up there. He could pick out the best brushes, but he, he's not wired for the level of relationship and creativity yeah. that an advisory person um, is is going to need in order to really be able to step into that role as trusted business advisor. So there will be those for whom this is not right. But that leaves the bulk of the profession standing there going, okay, well, I do like people and I like to have conversations. I just don't know what to ask. And I'm afraid to ask a question I don't have the answer to. And that's where we step into the second piece of this is expert versus facilitator. And I think this is a big piece right here. Instead of seeing ourselves as the people who show up with the answers, which is typically the role that we that accountants play in, in traditional compliance-oriented services, mm-hmm. the client gives you their, their numbers, you have a work product, and you deliver a, a, a deliverable, and, and fees are paid, and it's, it's hourly or it's value-priced, however you do it, but it's, it's done, it's, it's delivered versus a facilitator and a facilitator is somebody who's going to come in and take a client and their team members through processes 
that yield the answers through questionnaires, through facilitated exercises and sticky walls, and you know all the cool <laughs> tools that we use in our methodology. Those tools are not by accident. They're very much by design because we're taking the the hope and the chance mm-hmm. out of the relationship and building a mechanism uh, that actually will yield outcomes for the client. So by following some of the best practices of um, uh, the Grove and the Institute of Cultural Affairs and other facilitating training, facilitator trainings that, you know, we've been exposed to over the years, we've taken those methodologies, merged them into client needs assessment tools and processes, and in that um, marriage, we we are able to deliver, here I am back to another metaphor, but we deliver a beautiful process for our clients where they become the providers of the answers. Right. We are the facilitators of the process. Yeah. And that is a shift for most accountants. And so rather than feeling like you have to have all the answers and because you don't, you don't go out the door, right. you don't ask questions. We, 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 and maybe you can speak to this, Jeannie, you were not an expert in the wine industry when you started, <laughs> right? How did, how did you get I, better? You didn't, if I remember right, you didn't even like to drink. Oh, wine. I love to drink wine. Eat. It was Franzia in the, in a box. All the Franzia I could get out of the box. There you go. Uh, yeah. Okay. Quality <laughs> wine. Real wine. That qualifier. Sweet <laughs> wine. Just like our sweet tea in South Carolina. So yeah, Edie. So yeah, that was one of my big fears. So I've, I've been trying to drive the profession forward as Edie and I have both been fighting this battle from different paths, but we've been moving, trying to get the profession to move forward for a long time. And um, I came through technology and did a bunch of speaking and discovered this tool and and became very frustrated with the, the inability of people to see the opportunity in front of them through consulting. And it's what you said, Edie, is exactly mm-hmm. right. It's first of all, if I ask these new questions that I'm not used to asking, like, um, you know, if we could improve your account's receivable days from 40 to 30, what would be the impact on cash? And if I could show somebody that that impact, but then if they ask me, what do I do about it? And I don't know what to say. I'm never going to raise that that metric. Yeah. So I'm going to stay away from any metric where right. there's not an immediate service delivery that I can associate with it. So my own inability right. to, to come up with ways to help them terrified me because I didn't want to bring up something and then say, well, I don't have a clue. It it looks like you're in trouble, but I don't know what to do. And I'm leaving the room now. So, I mean, that's a big fear and it's Mm -hmm. a problem we have to overcome. But what I've discovered is, and first of all, I figured out some of the things that we can do about those things. There's a lot of stuff we can do with technology to help people have more insight into why they have an issue, but to also actually help them improve their collection experience. And so that's one of the things, as you know, that I like to bring into this whole um, area of consulting is the technology uh-huh. way to automate it. But we still have to have these conversations. But coming into the wine industry, I really did think I needed to be the expert. And somehow I, I, my first thought was, well, I can't even pronounce what they're selling. How am I going to come in and advise these people on a business that I don't right. understand? And with these tools to back right. me up, um, you know, after the first couple of meetings where I kind of stood by the wall and tried not to be noticed and tried not to open my mouth so they'd hear my accent. <laughs> I, um, I quickly started to discover that the stuff they're struggling with, stuff everybody else is, it's how do I make money? How do I get more customers? Yeah. Why is it taking so long for my distributors to pay me for this wine that I'm selling? You know, what, what are the elements of cost? Mm-hmm. What are, why are my people not doing what I want them to do? And all of these things. 
And so when you when you eliminate some of the fear around the specific industry and you start to look at some of the commonalities across accounting, especially when you have a set of tools that you know are going to help you lead that client to their own insights, it becomes a very different mm-hmm. experience. And, and it was just it was amazing to me how any single tool in this toolkit, when you pull this tool out, first of all, the client will look at you and go, are you sure you're a CPA? Are you sure you're an accountant? Are you sure you're a bookkeeper? Whatever your role is, you're going to shock them by just asking them different questions. And so that's a huge part of the value conversation. You've already set yourself apart with any one of these tools in your toolkit. But then once you start asking questions, you're going to have the confidence to know that there is something I can draw from that will help me get deeper insights into this particular area and then help them lead themselves to a, to a solution. Right. Right. You know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is Buckminster Fuller. And he says, you will never change the way somebody thinks, give them a new tool, the use of which will change the way they think. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I see that in two layers here. One is we give the accountants new tools that change the way they think. Mm-hmm. The questions that are embedded into those tools will shift the way the accountant perceives the business, perceives issues in the business. And then the second layer, of course, is we use these tools with the clients, right? right? And so you're right. Every time a CPA shows up with level five training under their belt and they pull out their sticky wall or they Anything. pull out their their facilitated process, their consensus workshop, any yeah. of the tools and processes that we, we, uh, we reinforce in our methodologies. Um, the client looks at that accountant and goes, whoa, you're not a typical accountant, right? Sure. All of a sudden you don't look and act like those others that I've worked with in the past or what I've perceived to be um, the look and feel of a CPA. So we're, we're using different tools, the use of which will shift the way that we interface with each other. Um, that that's the bottom line here. So, you know, this whole podcast is dedicated to the concept of selling. It's dedicated to value, um, proposition. And, and, and at the end of the day, uh, for me, what it comes down to are, are, first of all, recognizing that there's a lot of value that accountants have been giving away because they didn't have a mechanism or a tool or a structure right. to really tease out what the true value proposition is with their clients. So that's first. The second thing is accountants holding on to the belief system that they have to have all the answers. And until they have the answers, they shouldn't ask a question. That's 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 a mistake. And, and it's a mistake because one will never have all the answers. And two, we're actually when we give our clients the answers, we're stealing an opportunity from them to learn. In other words, uh, you know, when you're raising a toddler, every time they fall down, you don't pick them up and carry them and say, oh, that walking thing is really hard. I'm never going to have you go through that again. I'll just carry you the rest of your days, right? <laughs> but it just doesn't work that way. We know that there's, there's going to be a learning curve here and that our child is going to stumble and fall. And, and they're just, we have to have room in our thinking process that we're not going to get this right the first time we get out the door, but we can't go wrong if all we're doing is asking questions. That's right. 
Do you know what I'm saying? We're not going in with the wrong answers. We're going in with the right questions. And even if we don't pose them perfectly the first few times, the process is kind of, forgive me, it's kind of foolproof. It is. It's a little bit idiot proof in the sense (laughs) you, you don't have to be an expert at a given industry. You just have to master the questioning process and the industry will reveal itself to you. So for you, just your, your situation with the wineries, Holy cow, in a very short amount of time, by not knowing the answers, by going in with the questions and asking questions that you you would never have asked right. if right. you thought you had all the answers, right. um, you learned that industry. It will reveal itself to you. And you, your firm that you work with up in Napa is now the premium accounting firm for the wine industry for the Napa Valley. I mean, hello, you guys were not that when you started down this road 10 years ago. And, and so you can become a niche master, a niche Jedi, if you will, um, <laughs> by embracing the question rather than trying to be the one with all the answers. So it- that's that's really the biggest. Yeah, thing. and I think Edie, we you have to amend your statement that it is in fact redneck proof. If I could do it, anybody can do it. And, and you know, <laughs> and and one of the things that I really learned is that I can actually leverage my own ignorance and make fun of it and use that to my advantage. And I can say things like, you know, I'm just a dumb redneck drinking Franzia from South Carolina, but it, this doesn't make sense to me. Why are you doing that? And why is this happening? Right. And, and the new perspective that you bring coming in cold is actually a, a value add in many cases. You can actually look at things that other people sort of accept and go, yeah, that's so-and-so process, and we all know all about that. When I would go, well, why do you do that, and why does it take so long, and why does it cost so much, and things like that. And it actually uh, you know, brings I think- perspective. Okay. It does. And, and I would just say, you know, whether we all have our means and method of self-effacement, yeah. right? So, um, <laughs> you know, I don't know your industry. Yeah. Um, you've got more gray hairs than I do. What, whatever yeah. method we use for setting our ego aside yeah. when we come through the door. And that's essentially what we're doing here is we're putting our ego on the shelf and saying, I'm not going to be the expert right. here. You are the expert of your own business. You right. carry the native wisdom in your, in your body of knowledge about this business. And your culture and your people carry the native wisdom yeah. of your organization. And my role is to bring out that native wisdom. It's not to be the carrier of the wisdom, but to be the provider of a process that yields that that's wisdom. Right. That's, you know. That's the difference between being a process consultant and being a product consultant. Product people go in and they do feasibility studies or they'll do, um, you know, a particular project deliverable. Once it's done, it's complete and they're done. If we do our job right as trusted business advisors, we're never done. There's always the next meeting, the next set of numbers that we need to look at. Are, do we have the right numbers on our dashboard? What should we be adding to it? What should we be taking away from it? The, we are never done with our clients. So this is a process consulting relationship uh, when we become a trusted business advisor versus just having a deliverable where we complete a project and we hand over a, a document. Uh, this is very different and it's it's... You know, I know you know the firm that you work in. There are some of those engagements that are going on plus 10 plus years. That's right. 
you know, meeting monthly and yeah. reviewing the numbers monthly and constantly adding to the knowledge and, and business acumen of those clients. And, you know, those are 60, 70, 80, $90,000 a year engagements over 10 years. You know, that's, that's a million dollars worth of business without even really doing a lot of math on that. Um, all because we have an accounting firm that doesn't need to be seen as the experts, yeah. but went in with a lot of good questions who wanted to understand more about the industry and in the course of doing so became the experts in that industry. Yeah, and I think it's I think there's a lot of what you said. I mean, early on you said we are we are accountants and that means we can hold people accountable. And I think that's a huge strength that we bring to this right. work. It's many times that's all people yeah. need is somebody to check them, check back that's in to right. write down whatever they say. Because it's amazing how many meetings you can right. go to where nobody's a note taker. And sometimes all they need is for us to take the note, set up the calendar, and then call back and say, have you done this thing you said you were going to do by the 15th of June? Um, and then if not, you why know, not? What can we do to help you systematize these things? We, we did a little test. This is when I worked with a firm up in Canada. And um, one of the groups decided that they were going to make a point. This is it's so simple. It's, it's a spotlight basically on the meeting and saying, okay, Mr. Business Owner, we met together. And this letter goes out immediately following the meeting. We met. These are the three things that mm -hmm. we talked about. Here are the two things you said you wanted to go back and do. And here's the thing you asked of us. Here's our progress toward that. You can expect a response from us in whatever time frame made sense, mm -hmm. right? So it's a formal yeah. capture of the meeting. And they said that their close rate on additional sales went through the roof because of that one simple follow-up letter. And the clients were like, thank yeah. you for holding me accountable. Yeah. You know, and not just, it, not just the letter, but, you know, it gets into the, t in the CRM system where it's, you know, on yeah. June 1st, call John Smith and remind him that he wanted to be uh, meeting with a new leasing agent in July. Wait. Right? Something as simple as <laughs> it doesn't even impact the accounting yeah. firm. But, but the accounting firm is tracking what's important to that business owner and helping them stay on task. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that's, that's basic stuff. That you, <laughs> it's basic stuff. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of those business owners – they don't have a board of directors. Right. They don't have a management team. They don't have people around them to really elevate their management um, prowess, their management abilities. And, and, you know, they started the business as a small business owner. And so we're elevating their business practices by holding them accountable to their visions. So I have to call you on some technology you mentioned there, Edie. What's the CRM thing you speak of? Oh, CRM isn't, don't tell me they're calling it something no. else now. You need to. Client relationship management Yeah, software. but you're talking to CPAs. You got, we got to educate our audience on, oh. and they probably don't have one and they should. And that's all part of one of the things that we got to work on going forward is, you know, I'm going to have all these client conversations and I'm going to promise that I'm going to get back to them on a certain date and outlook may not be enough anymore. So we need to be looking at tools that help us become more proactive. That's right about serving these clients and assisting right. them in their own follow-up. I know I'm about to outgrow my uh, Outlook calendar system on my own. And there are a number of tools yeah. that are available. Yeah, there are a number of tools that are available to help us become better about delivering on the promises that we make to clients. And that's part of the consideration as well. If you want to have value, just do what you say you're going to do on the date that you say you're going to get it done. 
and, and that's, that's not right. as easy as it that's used right. to be. It's never been easy, but it's well, know, getting more complicated. You know, you and I, we could, we, I think we could dedicate a podcast just to client relationship management yeah. skills and techniques, things that we could do. And I, I want to do that with you. I, I, I think, you know, I think accountants often perceive that the only time the client really recognizes value mm -hmm. is when they're in front of them. They don't recognize the back office stuff. Yeah. And so we've got to make better use of our face time with our clients and not waste that time only talking about what has already happened. Yeah. It's shifting from the hindsight to the insight. What has happened is done, but here's what it means. Here's the implications of that to some oversight. And here are some ways that we can manage this on a real-time basis to the foresight. Here's how this is going to impact what's happening in your in your business down the road if we can move from hindsight to insight oversight and foresight the value proposition is is significantly greater because the client sees hey they really do understand my business they really are paying attention to what's important to us they are keeping us on track they're adding value by you know referring non-accounting resources to us. That's the other thing is maybe we aren't the primary provider of what the client needs, but we're involved to the degree that the client feels like this other service provider or, or product or whatever is um, a value add from us that they would not have known about it or had access to it had we not brought it to their uh, field of awareness. And so there's ways for us to add value without actually delivering services. Um, and, th and that's a whole conversation about, you know, how to be your client's advocate uh, in every way. Yeah. You know, that's what I think a trusted business advisor really is, is they are an advocate for that business, not just a service provider. That's right. That's where we should be. And some of us aren't going near far enough in, in terms of doing that. So that's Edie, right. I, want, I want you to get back into your medical uh, frame of mind and I want you to talk about what could you do <laughs> to cure me? I have this dreaded disease. It's called random acts of consulting. What is the cure? <laughs> what is the cure? Well, <laughs> well, let's 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 identify the symptoms yeah. of this disease, right? This is the uh, this is the you're at lunch with a client. They mention that they're having a problem. You get your head wrapped around an idea that you can help them solve it. You say, "Hey, I can help you with that." You go back to the office and you design a solution, mm -hmm. whether it's a type of of uh, you know financial analysis that you're going to do for them. It's a spreadsheet you're going to build. It's a special cash flow model. You're gonna, whatever it is that the client mentions. So now you're into a random act of consulting. You have said yes to a client need and you're home inventing right. the wheel. That's right. Right. And the challenge with that is every time you do that, you're reinventing That's the right. wheel. And the good, the good news is that about 90% of the issues that come up in every business are pretty much standardized problems. Things that, like you mentioned before, uh, go across industry, you know, cash yeah. flow and people and process. And, you know, these are things that we don't have to wait for the client to raise an, a, a symptom. These are endemic, things that we can go in and work on pretty much all the time. 
And so this, this random acts of consulting doesn't have to be random. It's random because the client has come to us and we've responded in a random way. But what if we just know that there are these typical common issues in the small business environment that we could proactively be ahead of that instead of giving away our time, and that's where the random acts really becomes our worst nightmare, mm -hmm. right? Is because you think it's going to be X, you go back to the office, it's 10X because you've never done yeah. it before. It's always harder, more complicated. And how do you charge? You write down it? all the time. You yeah, you write down all your time. You write down all the time. Yeah. And so it's a tremendous loss of leverage for the firm, for the individual, and for the client because they're the, they're the guinea yeah. pig on your learning curve, yeah. right? So we need to, we need to not be doing random acts of consulting. We need to say when the client has an issue, you can say, wow, it sounds like you've got a process issue. Turns out we have a process that'll help you with your process. Yeah. And so, so you sell them into the level five service methodology, which is going to address 80 to 90% of the most typical issues that small businesses deal with. And, and that gets us because we have a framework and that framework has models of active modules of activity, whether it's doing um, an analysis on their chart of accounts, or we're going in and doing an inventory of their information systems, or we're going to facilitate a cycle of client interaction. Every step in the f level five methodology has processes and protocols associated with each step that um, keep us, <laughs> prevent us from doing random acts of right. consulting. We just can't do it. If we're following the process, there's room to innovate. There's room to intuitively shift and play with the client's needs for sure. But we're still operating within a framework that prevents us from signing on to random acts of consulting because that is a poor use of your time and it is not in the best interest of the client to be the guinea pig on our one-offs. And I can't tell you how many times in my own work and working with a managing partner of the firm, we work together on numerous consulting projects and um, where we head out to an engagement, not really knowing what it is we're going to encounter when we're out there. And at some right. point we just look at each other and go, um, Edie would say, just trust the process. And it is amazing how successful right. that is. We know that we have enough knowledge and enough tools in our toolkit that if there's something that comes up, right. we can help guide them to a further understanding of that with one of the tools that we have in our, in our set of things. And if we don't have something, we have a right. network of people that we can reach out to both in our local community and across the world who may have some other insights on a particular problem. So we have a connection to yeah. people through Edie and the Mentor Plus trainees um, but also we don't necessarily have to have all the answers. We just need to keep reaching out to other That's people right. that do different things that we don't want to be involved in. Like we use some people outside right. to do our tax credit work for clients who are doing development projects right. and right. things like that. And so you, you become very comfortable in having a conversation that doesn't depend on you having all the answers at your fingertips in that moment. It's, it that's right. It's the shift between being client-centric 
and service-centric. And service-centric firms are those that are so focused on their service offerings that that is the filter through which they perceive all their clients' issues. They can either fit it into one of their service offering boxes or or they don't see it or they can't help with it, right? Versus client-centric, which is I see all of your needs. I see the ones that I can support you in, but I see others that go beyond the scope of what our firm can do for you. But that doesn't mean to say I can't help you be a consumer of those services that fall outside of who we are. So I can give you three or four data points that we're trying to work on, or um, I can help you define the issue well enough with enough metrics built into that definition that you're going to be a better consumer of that service of that other other provider, whoever they are. Um, I can help you analyze the core needs of that issue to the degree that you're going to be able to uh, line up more effectively with a provider of a solution towards. Well, we're issue. doing that. Yeah, so we're we, doing that every day. Our firm does not want to do anything with software software implementations, but what we do with clients is help them go. document and describe what their needs are, so that they can take that that's, document and then go out and right. find the better fit. Because we see a lot of clients not doing anything; they're just picking the the piece of software that their right. neighbor used, and it's just a terrible solution. Right. So. Yeah, the service opportunities around helping them really identify and document whatever it is. Um, right. And then let them take that information and go forth without having to ever really, you know, find the solution, but give them a better way to go seek one. So I'm excited about this podcast series because I'm writing down like 25 topics that I, I feel like you and I could cover really um, effectively with both your experience in the field, mine in the field, and then also all the best practices that we've gleaned from the, the practitioners who've been in our process for a long time. So I'm excited about that. But this one in particular around pricing, you know, and selling. Yeah. Um, it's where it all starts. We, we just... <laughs> It's where it all starts. We, we can't deliver any services until we sell them. And we can't sell them until we believe in our hearts that what we have to offer is really going to help make a difference in our clients' businesses. And I think a lot of accountants don't feel that confidence because they lack the systems, the mindset, the skill set, and the tool set, if you will, to be able to really effectively walk into any business, any industry, and using a methodology that you know, comes from somewhere, in our case, level five, but for lack of a better system, most accountants are avoiding uh, the client-centric conversations. They're staying in the very service-centric mode. And so I think the first thing is the sales piece, and and you have to believe that what you have to offer is going to be a make a difference and have a positive outcome for you and your firm as well. And I think a lot of people that say they want to do advisory work are lacking the systems. And so for years, Jeannie, you know this, yeah. and I have been speaking to this for almost 30 years now. It's it's no longer a question of if firms need to develop advisory skills. It's not even a, a, a why. It's a why right now. And, and I think um, it's because the market is asking for it in a way that it never has before. There's uh, millennials who... Um, are not expecting to become experts in all aspects of their business. They've grown up in a business culture of specialization, and they mm-hmm. recognize the value of outsourcing all the the head work that doesn't uh, isn't 
crit mission critical to their business, right? right? So they're outsourcing accounting and they're outsourcing HR right. and they're outsourcing facilities management. So there, there's a comfort with working with experts from the outside in a collaborative way that wasn't present 20 years ago or even just 10 years ago. I think there's just a whole different work model, collaboration model that really invites advisory uh, people into the conversation with their clients in a way that they've never been uh, able to access before. So I think the market is ready for this. And I think the profession is recognizing that it's getting harder and harder to uh, step outside of traditional commodity pricing issues. And so it's, um, it's time. And so being able to sell this service uh, being able to meet the need that the market is asking for um, is is a real opportunity for any firm that jumps on board. I think that's uh, exactly right. And I think the automation in our world is even making that even more important right now because the the AI equipment and capabilities now take away much of the transactional work that we've relied on for so many years. And now it's up to us to take all that data that people have, this mounting piles of unusable data that we have in organizations and turn it into insights. And so it's, the opportunity is here. Yeah. There's no question about it. It's not never going to be about crunching the data anymore. It's always going to be about kissing the data. Where, what, which data do we need to be intimate with? <laughs> yeah. Right. Which data do we need to be intimate yeah. with to be able to run our business effectively? Yeah. Where's the nugget? It's, you know, not yeah, where's the nugget of information? Where's the nugget that really makes a difference? Where's the intimacy data? Yeah. That's yeah. right. That tells us everything we need to know about our business. It's not about crunching numbers. It's about becoming intimate with our data. Yeah. So. Janie, thanks for this um, Thank you, conversation. Edie. We rambled it up. We're excited about putting this out there, I can tell. And um, I look forward to doing this again with you soon. Fantastic. Thank you, Edie.